Good morning. It's really good to be with you this morning. Yes, we were, we were, I was in the first service this morning, and I didn't realize that one of my dreams in life was to be able to preach outside while wearing a Sherpa jean jacket. But it was so cold that that's what I did. And uh, that was fun. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. <clears throat> Hear now the reading of God's word. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord, uh, and let me set the stage here, the they here is the magi after uh, they meet Mary and Joseph and Jesus uh, and depart another way to avoid um, giving Herod information. Um, so I'm picking up after, after the departure of the Magi. Now, as they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he, and he, sent, and killed all, uh, he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region that were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then he was fulfilled, or then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted, for they are no more. But when Herod died, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went uh, and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, it, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that you give us in the scriptures. And this passage is one that is filled with um, sadness and one that is filled with great pain in the lives of your people. We pray, Father, that you would use it to bring comfort to your people today, to give us hope and to give us uh, strength as we continue into the future that you have uh, planned for us. For it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So when I was in elementary school, I used to have to ride the bus from the time that I was in second grade until fourth grade, and then I transferred to uh, a school or a new school was within walking distance and I was able to walk to school from that point on. But um, 
when I had to go to the bus stop in um, third and fourth grade in particular, there was a couple kids that decided that uh, I was the guy that they wanted to bully. So every day I would uh, show up at the bus stop and uh, Rob Duff, who lived across the street from me, and David Bentley, who lived down the street from me, would uh, take turn harassing me and bullying me and insulting me. And uh, because they were the biggest ones there, they could um, kick me in the shins. That's what that would happen on a daily basis. They would just kick me. And there was nothing I believed I could do about that um, because they were both bigger and stronger than I was. And so that was my morning every day on my way to school was I get bullied by these two kids. And um, after the school, um, after the school opened that I could walk to, I would walk to school and they would harass me during my fifth grade year. David Bentley was a year ahead of me. So during my sixth grade year, uh, he was in middle school, which gave me a little bit of relief. But uh, eventually, I think he just realized that uh, he got out of school before I did. And that means he could bring his bike and he could follow me home as I walked home from school and taunt me the whole way home. And I remember uh, one day when I was walking home, he came with his um, with water balloons on his bike and he would follow me on his bike and throw water balloons at me. That was, I guess, what he wanted to do to have fun. And as, uh, as I was walking home, he, he at one point threw a water, water balloon at me and uh, tripped himself up on his bike and fell. And, and I, I thought that was funny, so I laughed. And that, of course, made him mad. And so he got off his bike and ran over to me and hit me in the ear. And something at that moment, I, I just snapped, I guess, and I um, began screaming at him. And uh, I didn't hit him. There was no fight. I thought I was going to get beat up. But I just had had it, and I wasn't going to take it anymore. And so I started yelling at him, and he backed off. And from that point on, he didn't bother me that much anymore. And, and I was actually really surprised for that, by that. And by the time I was in middle school, I, I thought maybe that I was done with, with David Bentley. And then uh, when I was in high school, I started my first job. I worked at Roy Rogers Restaurant. I don't know if any of you remember that restaurant chain. It got bought out, bought out by Hardee's. So uh, back in the 80s, uh, there were lots of Roy Rogers, in the, at least in the Northeast. And I worked at a Roy Rogers restaurant that was uh, within walking distance of my home. And during the interview, or after the interview, I found out that I was being hired. And I was also replacing somebody that had been fired. And I found out before my first day that person was David Bentley. And I felt kind of a sense of victory about that, that, you know, he got fired and I'm the one that's going to take his place. Uh, and so I show up on the first day of work and my boss says to me, I'm really sorry to, to do this to you, but this is your first day, so this is your job. And he takes me into the restroom, the men's restroom, and it was covered with ketchup and mustard. So back in the day, uh, they would in these restaurants, they would have ketchup and mustard bottles that you could squeeze on your hamburgers to get the ketchup and mustard just the way you want it. We didn't bother with these little you know, ketchup packets and mustard packets. And that made it really easy to put as much ketchup and mustard on your burger that you wanted, but it also made it very easy for disgruntled employees 
to go into the bathroom and squirt ketchup and mustard all over the walls, all over the ceiling, all over the toilet. So that's what David Bentley did. And my first day of work, I had to clean up his mess. And I remember thinking as I'm cleaning up his mess that there's just no way that I'm going to be rid of him. There's no way that he's, he's not even here and he's bullying me. He's not even here, and I'm spending my first day as an employed person cleaning up his mess. And now it's 2020, and we finished Christmas, more or less. And uh, we're thinking back over 2020 and looking forward to 2021, hoping that 2021 will be a very different kind of year than 2020. And I can't help thinking that 2020 was the kind of year that a metaphorical David Bentley squirted ketchup and mustard all over the walls of our year. It's the end of the year, and the coronavirus has changed our lives. We've had a disturbing and disruptive election cycle. We've had so many things that have disrupted us during 2020. And at times, all we can do is just kind of laugh about it. My wife showed me a, a meme she saw on social media. Uh, it, was a, it was a scene of a, a cars driving down a highway, and there was a sign up that said what was intended to say, blizzard warning. But uh, the B had been either photoshopped out or was gone from the sign. And so it just read, lizard warning. <laughs> and so this was, you know, only in 2020. Now we have to worry about lizards on the highway. We, we laugh about these kinds of things. Uh, and yet the reality is 2020 for many of us has been a very difficult year. Some of us have lost our jobs. All of us have made sacrifices. All of us have had our lives disrupted in ways that we wouldn't have planned for and wouldn't have wanted to happen and would have chosen different ways. Some of us have lost loved ones and we celebrated Christmas for the first time without them among us. All of us have had our lives rearranged by this pandemic and I suspect every single one of us are also hoping for 2021 to be a very different kind of year. And this is not what we want our Christmas season to be like. I know for myself, I had a great Christmas day. My family came, my daughter came down from Gainesville, my son came from Orlando, my parents lived 10 minutes away, they showed up in the morning, we opened presents together, nice, pretty wrapped presents. And we got a Douglas fir tree this year. We normally get Fraser fir, but my daughter convinced me for the Douglas fir, perfectly shaped tree, probably the prettiest tree we've ever put in our home and uh, decorated with pretty ornaments. And we opened presents. And then we cooked roast beef and ham and salmon. We ate too much of each of those. And then we went to my parents' home and we opened more pretty presents under a, well, it was, they have a palm tree. They have a fake palm tree that's their Christmas tree. 
and, uh, and then we had dessert. And it was a pleasant time. It's the kind of Christmas day that you hope to be able to provide for your family, you hope that your children can be able to experience and have happy memories of, um, of the holidays. This is, this is what we want Christmas morning and Christmas days to be like. But it occurred to me in that really in this passage that even though we want to create these kinds of experience for our families uh, and these memories for our children during the holiday season, this is very little to do with what the actual Christmas story was like and its aftermath. And I'm not talking about the secularization of Christmas or the commercialization of Christmas, although that, of course, is true as well. Even our own Christian traditions regarding Christmas decorate the Christmas story in pretty wrappings that make it very different from the actual Christmas story. When we put uh, manger scenes in our home and we have the Magi, the wise men, come and bowing before Jesus, and it seems like this is just a pleasant and wonderful time where, um, where the Magi found Jesus and, and worshipped him and gave him, him gifts, but the, in reality, the time was very different. In reality, the Magi likely visited Jesus months after his birth, and this passage removes the pretty wrapping from this portion of the Christmas story so that we can see that time for what it was really like. Because in reality, the incarnation was an incredibly threatening and disruptive event. In the incarnation, God took human flesh and he lived among us. And that baby in a manger was announced to be king of the Jews. And that announcement is a threat to Herod and to Jerusalem and to Rome. And so bound up in this incarnation is the message that the world is suffering in darkness. Bound into this is the message that no light can be found from the so-called rulers of this age. But Jesus had to be born to be a light in our darkness and to give us genuine hope and true beauty, not in the pretty packaging, but in the genuine suffering and death and resurrection on our behalf. And so to order, to, in order to understand this passage, we, we have to set the stage of what Matthew is doing because there are many subtle references to Israel's exodus from Egypt and exile in Babylon that have to be appreciated to understand this passage. Matthew portrays Israel here as a land cast in darkness and in exile. Israel has been under foreign rule in this time for hundreds of years, beginning with Babylon and then the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks and then by the time of Jesus, Israel is under the control of Rome. And Rome had placed Herod the Great as king of the region. And he was not a rightful king. He was not a son of David. He wasn't even a Jew. He was Idumean, which is in the New Testament, that's the word we give to the word Edomite. He was a son of Esau. And in, Jake, in, in Genesis chapter 25, verses 23, we see what God had to say about the relationship between Jacob and Esau and the two nations that represented 
we're represented by these individuals. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will, uh, uh, and, there, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Edom was supposed to serve Israel. Jacob, Israel, was supposed to rule over Esau. But now an Edomite and a tyrant is now king of Israel by the authority of Rome. And so Herod was really a double insult to believing Jews. And many of them would have wondered why it is that God would allow an Edomite to rule over them. What had gone wrong and why wasn't he true to his word? Why would he allow God's people to be oppressed in this way and for so long? But the prophets had an answer to that question in the Old Testament. Israel was sent into exile in Babylon because of her sin and because of her lack of repentance. And even though the Israelites had returned to the land of Israel, exile would remain in some form until the Messiah was born. And so dark was this time that God brought the good news to Israel through magi that likely came from Babylon. They were likely pagans. They came from the place of Israel's exile. And the magi learned that a king would be born that would ransom captive Israel now dwelling in lonely exile here. And that birth would bring hope and a light into this present darkness. And God was now going to act in history to redeem his people, Israel. But notice what happens when this news reaches Herod's ears. Herod launches his own holocaust in Jesus' birthplace in Bethlehem and in the surrounding area. Every male child, two years old and younger, slaughtered. And Matthew quotes Jeremiah that Rachel, the wife of Jacob and the mother of Israel, would weep and refuse to be comforted because her children were no more. And that passage in Jeremiah was written originally with reference to Israel's exile in Babylon. But Matthew understood that this passage was fulfilled in Rachel weeping again for the loss of Israel's children in Bethlehem. The time of darkness at this time was truly overwhelming. And it's easy to kind of gloss over this or let our familiarity with the passage just allow us to kind of gloss over the events that happened. But think what it must have been like if you had a child that was under two years old and you lived in Bethlehem during this time and your children were slaughtered, slaughtered because a ruler was afraid that a child would take his reign, take his throne. What we see here is that life in Israel had become like life in Egypt prior to the Exodus. If you'll remember, Israel had sought 
refuge from famine in Egypt during the days of Joseph. But the next pharaohs had forgotten about Joseph and they enslaved the people of Israel when they had grown too strong. And Pharaoh tried to execute all the male children from the Hebrews. And Matthew shows us that Herod's reign had become like the reign of Pharaoh. Jesus was born in a time when darkness reigned in Israel. And I say this to you not to depress you on the morning after, after Christmas, the Sunday morning after Christmas, but so that we can be pointed to where the true light and the true life is genuinely found, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. Because like Israel in the days of, of famine, Joseph took Jesus into exile in Egypt to find refuge from where Herod was trying to kill him. And so the text says, when Jesus was returning to Israel, out of Egypt I called my son. And this is a passage that quotes Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, which is, again, a reference to Israel's exodus. And here we get to the main point of this passage. Jesus was born to live a life, to live the life of Israel in our place so that he could be a new Moses to lead us out of our sin and out of our suffering and out of our struggles and into the new heavens and new earth into his salvation. He took our exile upon himself to live among us as our redeemer. The birth of Jesus was good news. But it's good news that came in the wake of the disruption of people's lives. The birth of Jesus turned Jerusalem upside down so that Israel could see that they were still in exile, that exile had come to their homeland, and they were in need of a redeemer. And we have to admit that we live, the world we live in, the exile we live in, gives us the opportunity to see Jesus as our redeemer, to bring light into our darkness, but we can't be fooled by the external wrapping that we often want to place in our lives to give us our, an illusion of control and security as if darkness cannot touch us. But Jesus came to bring light into our darkness, to expose the darkness, but then to bring light within it. And it's God's grace that he unwraps this, the packaging of our lives to reveal that darkness so that we can see the grace of God in our lives in the midst of it. As I washed ketchup from the walls of the Roy Rogers restaurant, all I could think about at the time was my anger over what I had to do and frustration that I could not be rid of him. He was an agent of disruption in my life. And many of my prayers when I was in elementary school had to do with praying and calling out to God to end the bullying that I was experiencing. But through it, God was working in my life, making, my, making me aware of my need of him and the good news that comes 
to King Jesus alone. And through it, he taught me about forgiveness. And that forgiveness is not just something that I need, but it's something that David Bentley needs as well. That he hung on the cross, Jesus hung on the cross, and called out for his murderers to be forgiven. And he can fill my heart with forgiveness for those that bullied me as well. At the very least, what we can say with certainty about this pandemic is that it's a disruptive event. It is something that might be ripping up the pretty packages of our lives to reveal how much we need him under the thin veneer of security that we often think that we possess. But Jesus can bring good news in the midst of that, in the midst of the destruction that he causes in our lives. Underneath the surface of the pretty packages of our lives, there is still sin, there is still brokenness, and there is still darkness in our hearts. And we all would like to have control over our lives. Like Herod, who wanted control over his own throne. And we want to stamp out threats to our own self-rule. This is human nature. This is what we want. We want control over our lives, and we are willing to manipulate others to gain control for ourselves. And in this sense, I'm not so different from David Bentley. I share the same sinful nature that he has. But in hindsight, after my dark, the darkness of my own heart has been revealed, in hindsight, I can see that David Bentley was just as deeply in need of salvation and just as deeply in need of compassion and just as deeply in need of the gospel as I was because there's a story behind his abuse as well. And I don't know what that story is, but I know that he has one. And that realization only comes to those who realize that their own lives have been disrupted and our own sins have exposed to realize that others that have hurt us have similar stories. And so the true beauty of, the, of Christmas is seen when, when the packaging is removed. Because there we get to glimpse in the midst of our own brokenness and in the midst of our own sin, the God who became man and lived among us who loved us more than life itself, but came and entered into our lives, into, into our suffering, to bring us redemption and to bring us into his kingdom and to lead us as a new Moses into the new heavens and new earth. Today we are not suffering like the Holocaust in Bethlehem, but the same darkness that infected Israel is still here today. And it can be so tempting to focus on and to become fixated on the ketchup and mustard on the walls. It can be so tempting to be fixated on the symptoms rather than the darkness that exists in our own heart and the light that Jesus can bring to us. We can miss what God might be doing in our lives in the midst of what we might be struggling with. But the gospel calls us to see past the ketchup and mustard on the walls to what God might be doing in his grace in our lives. The pandemic itself is not the darkness. It's a symptom or a product of the darkness that exists in us. It's a product of the reality that we live 
in a fallen world. It's just nucleic act, act acids wrapped in a protein package. I looked that up on Google. It's true. The darkness is already here. Because we live in a world that's tainted with our sin. The pandemic uncovers that darkness that resides in us. And it gives us an opportunity to be able to respond to our own sin and our own brokenness with the offer of grace that comes from Jesus Christ. There are so many parts of 2020 that may cause us to grieve and lament. But that's not a bad thing. It's actually can be a very good thing because the disruption that can happen can lead to transformation in the good news of the gospel. And the Psalms, the most common form of Psalm is a Psalm of lament, like what we read in the story, or in, the, in this story with, with the prophet Jeremiah. Also common are the Psalms of, links, of thanksgiving. The most significant difference between a Psalm of lament and a Psalm of thanksgiving is a Psalm of thanksgiving has an ending. Very many psalms of thanksgiving begin with laments, with us telling God our story, telling God that our struggles, our sins, our brokenness, and crying out to God for an answer. It only becomes a psalm of thanksgiving once that answer is provided. Once we see what God is doing in the midst of our sins or in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our suffering, and we can see that he is good and we can see how God has been taking care of us this whole time. That's what changes a psalm of lament to a psalm of thanksgiving. But I'd like to encourage you as you are winding up 2020 and looking forward to 2021, you might be in a place where you don't see how your psalm of lament could become a psalm of thanksgiving. You may not know the resolution to your psalm of lament, and that's okay. Most of the psalms in the Old Testament are, don't have the answer, don't have the thanksgiving at the end. They are just laments, but they're crying out to the only God who is good and the only God that can listen to them to him as they go through their periods of suffering. And so let me encourage you just to honestly lament and not put Christian packaging on it so that it sounds nice, but just to be honest and to share to God and to others your lament. And in the process of that, God may start to reveal to you things that go beyond the ketchup and mustard on the walls of 2020 to what God might be doing in the midst of it. My, my boss, Richard Pratt, um, at uh, Third Millennium Ministries, he gave us kind of an exercise to do this during Thanksgiving. And since then, I've been doing that. I've been trying to allow myself to see what kinds of things I'm lamenting and to be honest with them before God and to share them to God. And things about my children's life, I've been sharing with him, and God has allowed me to see it in a whole new way. My son, uh, Nathan, moved out in March of 2020. He worked for a, a uh, organization that rented out audiovisual equipment to uh, large events in Orlando. March 2020, he moves out and the 
company promptly shuts down. There's no large events in, or in Orlando. There's no need for audiovisual equipment. He loses his job, and now he's on the hook for rent. He goes back to the job he had in high school. He gets hired, and he's able to not only work there, but also gets promoted. And I've been able to see him kind of mature and grow up in amazing ways through this whole thing. And as, as the need to be, um, you know, to, to pay the bills, uh, because now he's living on his own, has uh, increased, I've just seen him rise up to the challenge, and it's made me hugely proud of him in the way that he's responded to this. Maybe in ways that I wouldn't have seen if it wasn't for the pandemic. My daughter Emily graduated from University of Florida this year, and I wasn't able to go to a graduation ceremony because it didn't happen. We just showed up and said, good job, Emily. And she got a job working in a grocery store bagging groceries. It's an honorable job, but not the job she was hoping to get after graduating college. Uh, and I grieved for her in this. But just recently, she was hired to be a preschool teacher and she absolutely loves it. Uh, this wasn't the future that she had planned for herself. Nathan's future wasn't the future he had planned for himself, but it's one in which God has shown himself to be good. My daughter, Juliana, just started high school this year. Uh, she's our only child remaining at home. And this, you know, you're in ninth grade, you wanna be able to hang out with your friends and she has to do it on Zoom and all these games on her phone. It's the only way she can hang out with her friends. And yet, um, as she's been home and as I've been home more, um, we've kind of connected in ways that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. She's, she's got a ukulele, she's got two ukuleles and we, uh, and I have my guitar. We've been practicing guitar and ukulele together. And uh, I've been playing some of her songs and She's been playing some of my cheesy 70s folk songs, and it's been, it's been fun just to kind of get to know her in, in, uh, in new ways and, and, um, and enjoy each other's company and watch movies together in ways that I maybe wouldn't have if it wasn't for the pandemic. And, and I don't want to say that 2000, this has made 2020 just a wonderful year. It's been a ketchup and mustard on the walls kind of year. But the reality is by going through that exercise, by allowing myself to lament, I've been able to see what God is doing. And I can see God's grace in the midst of it. And it gives me hope that maybe, even if I can't see what God is doing and what he's going to, where he's going to be leading me into 2020 and in the future, I can still see that God is good. And I can still see and trust by faith that he is leading his people as he is leading me through the miseries of this life into a new heavens and a new earth. The message of the incarnation is that Jesus took off his divine wrappings, not his divinity, just the, the wrappings of divinity, if you will, to become man and to live among us and take our exile upon himself. He did not cease to be God, but he lived among us fully as a man. And he is leading us in a new exodus out of our sin and out of our misery 
in the light of his gospel. And the beauty of the incarnation is that we were lost in darkness and God has shined his light on us in the person of Jesus Christ. He brings light into our darkness. He uncovers that darkness and that can be painful. He uncovers our brokenness and that can be painful. But he can shine his light into that darkness and give us hope in what truly matters in himself. And we can trust by faith that he is leading us into a new heavens and a new earth. And I don't know what the future will be like and I don't know what this journey will be like from now until then. But God has shown himself faithful. And so I trust that where he is leading us, he's leading us because he is good and because he loves us and because he is infinitely more wise than I could ever hope to be. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory of your gospel, that though you were rich beyond all splendor, yet for our sakes you became poor. That you, who had all righteousness, for our sakes became sin, that we might in you have the righteousness of God. We thank you for the Christmas story as we wind up 2020 and we see the pain and the suffering that your people went through during the first century. No matter what we might be going through in our own individual lives, we can trust that you will lead us. We pray that you would give us confidence and faith in that reality until the day that you return at the wedding supper of the Lamb, when you wipe every tear from our eyes. For it's the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray.